Thank you. You may be seated. I'd like to preach to you from this passage on the thought of God will remember. God will remember. I find it interesting the typology in this book, as we had sort of discussed last week, how this is one of the most interesting books in the Bible, in that it's very unique. And one of the most unique things about it is the name God never shows up in the entire book of Esther. And the name Lord never shows up in the entire book of Esther. And I find that really kind of cool because uh, God's not showing himself in this book in an overt way, right? But God does definitely show himself in this book. He shows himself working behind the scenes as the average life just kind of goes on and things happen and things are even happening that God would not want to happen. Things are happening that were not necessarily God's will to happen. And as those things are happening, God's hand is working behind the scenes to do some amazing things. It's really a book that shows us we need to live our lives by faith in God. That we need to trust that there is a God and that that God's got our best interest at heart and that God's going to do some great things behind the scenes like we talked about last week, the hand of God behind the scenes. Even though it doesn't look like God's really actively involved in the situation, you do have a God in heaven that's working and knows what he's doing. And I appreciate the fact that Almighty God doesn't really miss anything. You and I will feel like from time to time in this life that God misses some things. But God doesn't miss anything. God has written this book, the Bible, and specifically this book of Esther, to show us who He is and to give us something to grab a hold of in this life, something to put our hands on. In this day and in this time, you've got to understand how much more important the words of God are because it's like the book of Samuel. It said, you know, ere the light of God went out in the temple, what did he have? He had the word of God. The word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. You live in a day and age where God's not parting the Red Sea anymore. God's not healing the sick and raising the dead anymore. I mean, I do believe God heals through prayer. Don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about the miracle of healing and laying on hands and raising the dead and the five loaves and two fishes and all the amazing signs that God has given throughout history and the things that God has done that everybody wants to focus on those miracles. Nobody recognizes that hundreds of years oftentimes pass in the Bible with no miracles from God whatsoever, just the preaching of the Word of God, just what is written, and that is all God's people had for a very long time. And in this day and in this age, that's all you and I got is that book. And faith that our Heavenly Father knows what He's doing and is going to take care of everything. That's a comfort to my soul. I love Esther, the book for that reason, but I I also love the book of Ecclesiastes. That's another book of your Bible that's very unique because it's written from the perspective of just life on this earth. It's written from a very mundane, sad, bag and drag look at reality. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, saith the preacher. The number one killer of Christians, not just pastors, this is often taught to pastors and it's Very crucial for pastors to understand this, but it's not just pastors. The number one killer of Christians is the mundane, routine duty of life. It's the reality that, listen, 
I still live in a sinful world and I have some responsibilities that are on my shoulders and some things that I have to do. And it's not always, you know, inspirational. Life is not always exciting. Things aren't always wonderful. You don't always do something and have an immediate reaction of God to what you did in a positive sense, always reinforcing you with with positive instruction. That's just not how God works. I don't care what our kids are being taught in school nowadays. (laughs) My daughter was telling me in her childhood development class or something like that, that the teacher was, was, uh, was saying that you need to discipline your children positively. Positive discipline. She's like, I wanted to say, no! I just wanted to scream, no! Sometimes the little brat needs a whooping. <laughs> you got it, honey. You're exactly right. <laughs> Thank God. I, maybe I'll get to enjoy my grandkids if my children understand these concepts. Do you understand what I mean? Everything's not positive all the time. The power of positive thinking. I envision it. I, I love it when the guys used to talk like that. I just, you just envision the gold, man. Envision the gold. I want to ask them when they come back and didn't get the gold, didn't even place. Is that what you envisioned? <laughs> a lot of good you're envisioning did. He must have been a better envisioner than you. Or he was just a better fighter. Or you just slipped at the wrong time and he got an advantage. Or it's just stinking life and that's just how it works out sometimes. I am so sick of all this weird power of positive thinking. You can make it happen. Reality is reality. But I'm glad that in spite of reality, there is a God behind the scenes that knows what he's doing and knows where I'm at and he knows where you're at. And God will not forget to take care of you and to reward you if you do right. Even though it ain't going to feel like it in the moment. Notice this worldly king in verse number 2, chapter 2, verse number 1. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, he remembered Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Do you see what happened? He did what? He remembered Vashti. I talked to you last week about the typology in this book and that you have to be very careful. Whenever you use typology, you have to be very careful because no type is 100%. Does that make sense? No type, Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ, but it's not 100% because Joseph was a sinner. David is a type of Jesus Christ, but you can't say everything about David is 100% because David is a sinner. You understand, he was a prophet, priest, and king like Jesus Christ. There's a type there, but no type is 100%. Don't ever forget that. And you don't build, and I don't build, and we don't build our doctrines based off of types. We build our doctrines based off of very clear passages, never obscure ones. We'll talk more about that tonight. I'm going to show you an obscure passage this evening in 1 Corinthians 15. Everybody gets hung up on the obscure passages. Everybody loves the typology. And so, you know, they go to the book of Revelation and they're trying to like making all this stuff up. And it's like, whoa, hang on, time out. You can't build doctrine off of typology. We build our doctrine off of very clear passages. But then once we have those clear passages nailed down, we can look at these Old Testament stories. And it is amazing how the handiwork of God runs through the Bible, confirming those doctrines and making it so clear, making these passages very easy to preach. And apply doctrinally to you and me. This king remembers. But notice the first word. After these things. So between the end of chapter number one and the beginning of chapter number two, some things have happened. And you notice that here's where many say this as they try to fit history into the Bible. And I pointed out to you last week, God ignores all the exciting history that was going on at this time. 
Hollywood loves to make their movies about all the fornication and the, and the sodomy and all the rest of the stuff that's going on and the blood, bloody battles and the warriors and all the great you know, abuse that the Spartans put them through to make them the fiercest men on the planet. And They love to focus in on all that and that was more than likely going on around this time. This is the Ahasuerus that we're looking at is the Xerxes of secular history, more than likely. And that's all very intriguing to mankind. It's all very intriguing to our sinful nature. But it's not at all what God even gave any, any ounce of time to in the scriptures. Because really all that you've been flooded with by your education and college and this, that, and movies and Hollywood, all that does absolutely nothing for your soul, doesn't help you at all in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and has no bearing on your life whatsoever. Go live like a Spartan all you want and copycat that that process, and see what that brings you in your life. Nothing good. It matters not at all to me today. But what God gave us in this book is going to matter a lot. God's eyes are on a situation, and God's looking at some things, and He's watching, and His hand is working, and He's remembering after these things God remembers. So there's a whole bunch of details that happen between the end of chapter number 1 and the beginning of chapter number 2, and we're not sure what they are. It looks like after these things, comma, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus was appeased, comma, he remembered Vashti. So if his anger in this verse is still his anger that he had in the previous chapter about Vashti, then why would it say he remembered Vashti? Does that make sense? So it looks like although he ended the last chapter mad at Vashti, and God wants us to get that point, He begins the next chapter and he's like, oh yeah, Vashti, after his wrath is appeased. So, could be two different things. Could be that he had been really mad at Vashti, kind of gotten over it, forgot about her, and then remembered the situation because of things that were distracting him. Possible. The other possibility is that at this time, some would say, the battles had gone on where he was going trying to take over Greece and had failed. Because they they were saying that this chapter one where he's bringing all these guys together is his rah-rah, shishkumba, get all my, my, my princes and my captains behind me. We're getting ready to go have a big battle. Let me show you my power. Let me show you my money. Let me show you how beautiful my wife is. Look at how I'm the greatest. I got the most beautiful woman in all the kingdom because I can just demand that because I'm the king. I can take whoever I want. And look at what I got. Look at my power. Look at my money. Come on, guys. Let's go get them. And then they go up there and they get whooped by a bunch of Spartans or some Greeks up there. And he, they come back and, and man, King Ahasuerus is furious at the loss that was sustained because, listen, what he had conquered already was not enough. It wasn't good enough for him to have India and Ethiopia and and some of the other regions of the world he is winning over, the power of the media Persia empire. It wasn't enough because the lust of the flesh and the desire to get more is never satisfied when you begin to feed it. It is a monster that will always, always grow. And he's angry because it didn't work out the way he wanted it to work out. That's your other possibility. Either way, after some time has passed, a bunch of details God says doesn't even matter. He remembers Vashti and what she had done and what was decreed against her. Did you ever stop to consider how much of your life, if God was recording things and keeping track of every little thing, which God does know, But if God was going to detail your life and tell everybody all about you, do you ever wonder how much of it would just not even matter at all? I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, because I know we think we're very important and everything that happens in our life is super important. How was your day? 
let me tell you, everything that I did, you know, everything that happened to me, you wonder how much of it God doesn't even care. Ain't it super interesting that you get Jesus Christ, you get his birth, his infancy, you get a piece as a toddler, you get a piece at 12, and you get nothing until 30 years old. How much of what Jesus Christ was doing throughout his life was mundane, routine, duty of life, just doing right, walking with God, reading his Bible, praying, trying to be a witness, being faithful, submitting to his, his mother and stepdad. You got that right? <laughs> and just doing what he was supposed to do, cutting down trees, milling them out, sanding them down, nailing them together, just doing his job one day at a time. And God was marking down every day that Jesus did right. Every day, Jesus showed up at church on Sunday. Every time, Jesus obeyed him because he just dropped something in the box. Every time, Jesus kept his heart right, kept his thoughts right, kept his mind right. And it was mundane, routine duty, and there seemed to be no reward for it. He was just doing what he was supposed to do. And I wonder how many times it would have felt to him or to David or to Joseph or to Daniel or to Elijah or to Elisha. Like, God don't even see it. I ain't getting anything good back from it. I mean, my tire blew out. I've been doing right. Bad news from the doctor. I've been doing right. Can't pay the bills. I've been doing right. How is it that I'm doing right, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and God doesn't even seem to notice, and bad things happen anyways? Isn't that interesting? You know how much of it is just life? I'm not trying to be unspiritual, but you guys realize we get so super spiritual, we're almost mystical about things. We make everything into God or the devil. God and the devil. God, the devil's coming after me. Like, are you kidding me? Sometimes we think we're more important than we are. And maybe it is the devil, but what good do you do yourself going, the devil's coming after me. Oh, pray for me, the devil's on me. Are you doing yourself any good like that? (laughs) Don't you realize that a lot of times things just happen in life and it's not God's fault and it's not the devil's fault, it's not the ministry's fault? A lot of times that kind of becomes a preacher complex, you know? The ministry. My kids rebelled because of the ministry. Well, maybe your kid's just a stinking punk. Maybe your kid just made some stupid decisions. Maybe they're just being sinners. <laughs> maybe it's not the ministry's fault. You understand what I'm saying? Everything doesn't always have to be super spiritual all the time. A lot of it's just life and the way it goes. But I'll tell you this much. While everything is just mundane, while life is life and things are just going on and it can't be credited or blamed on God or credited to or blamed on the devil, listen, God Almighty is watching the decisions you make and the things that go on and God will not allow your faithfulness in the mundane, routine duty of your life to go unremembered. God will take care of you in the end. And you can bet on it. Look down at the end of the chapter. Look at verse 21. In those days while Mordecai sat at the king's gate, two of the king's chamberlains, Bigthan and Teresh, of those which kept the door were wroth and sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. The thing was known to Mordecai, who told it unto Esther the queen, and Esther certified the king thereof in Mordecai's name. When inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. 
Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree. And it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. Crazy story, man. Mordecai, we'll come back to in a minute, he's sitting in the king's gate, so he's got a pretty important job. Two of the king's chamberlains, they're real close to the king. They're, they're in the chambers there, and they're working in the palace. Big Thanateresh, they keep the door, right? They, they have a pretty trusted position, and they're angry. World superpower is their boss. They live in a palace. They got it made. Guarantee you they got a good income. You don't get that close to the king without being rewarded for your faithfulness and him making sure everything. And they're upset about something. They got something. You know God doesn't tell you what they're upset about? You want to know why? A lot of times in your life what's got you all bent out of shape ain't no big deal at all. It don't matter. Not, not before God. Now that's kind of sobering, isn't it? <laughs> because when I'm wroth, and trust me, I get wroth. You understand what wroth is, right? It's beyond I'm upset, I'm angry. I'm like literally I'm at my limit. When I get wroth, I got a good reason for it. You know how often God's like, <sighs> that's just life, man. Get over it. These guys are so upset that they actually end their own life by being stupid because Mordecai is in that inner circle and he hears the problem and he lets Esther know. Esther goes to the king, certifies what's going on in Mordecai's name. So this is all legal, man. They got the paperwork from the lawyer. It's stamped. This is, this is legit. And so the king says, all right, send the detectives out. Inquisition is made. Inquire about this. Find out what's going on. When they find out what's going on, these guys were actually going to try to kill the king. So he says, okay, hang them. They go out and hang them, and then what happens? Well, just due process. Just how things work in a political setting. Once we go hang these guys, since they died, you've got to make sure that we did everything the right way, and they're going to go ahead and they're going to mark it all down, right? They're going to go through their process. So they write it down in a book. And Mordecai has got to be thinking, <laughs> I thought at least a bonus, you know? I figured at least I'd get called in and, you know, get some nice new horses or something. I, I mean, I just saved the king's life. I, I was faithful. I did my job. I was doing the right thing. And nobody notices. The king writes it down in a book. You know why? Because the hand of God in the background, God's going to remember what Mordecai did. But as of right now, Mordecai, it looks to Mordecai like he gets nothing other than he's jotted down in the Chronicles of the King and buried there in some pages way back where nobody knows and nobody can find it, something that Mordecai did on a certain day and the whole kingdom moves on. You know what you got to know? You got to know that God's writing down what you do. You got to know that when you do right, God's got a record of it. You got to know that even though it doesn't look like you're getting noticed or rewarded now, even though you stuck your neck out there for the Lord, even though you've been faithfully doing the right things and nobody sees it and you're struggling and you're fighting back and you're doing everything you can under the pressure to try to do right, that God Almighty is sitting back there and He's writing those notes down and God will bring it up when God's ready. He did it for Mordecai. But don't forget, from Mordecai's viewpoint at this point, he don't know. He has no idea what God's going to do later. Just like you and I have no idea what God's going to do down the road in our lives. Notice, if you and I are going to make it through, we've got to remember that the Lord will remember. 
You cannot forget that the Lord will remember. Notice, first of all, when you're carried away with the circumstances of your life. Look at verse number 5. Now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captivity, which had been carried away when Jeconiah, king of Judah, uh, with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And he brought up Hadassah, which is Esther, his uncle's daughter, For she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, whom Mordecai, when her father and her mother were dead, took for his own daughter. You know what's happened with Mordecai? The circumstances of life have caught him up into a really awkward position. Notice, it has to do, a lot of it has to do with politics in Israel. He's in Shushan the palace. He's a Jew. What happens? He got carried away with the judgment God had sent on Israel. You know, Israel had refused to listen to God. That whole nation had refused to follow the Bible. God had given them clear instructions about the land. They were supposed to give it rest. And they refused to follow God for so many centuries, for so many years. All the preachers that God had sent, all the warnings that God had sent, all the crazy circumstances that had come, the judgment that had fallen, the release for that judgment, the return of judgment, the relief of that judgment. For years they'd been walking away from God and getting more and more rebellious and more and more bitter towards God and more and more hard-hearted. They thought their power and their success ensured that it would always be there. You cannot forget it is God that gives you the power to give what, get wealth. And God's the one that can take it away. You can't forget that. I don't care if you are an American. God can bring this nation to its knees in no time flat. And if that happens, you will be caught up in the circumstances of life, whether you're a Christian or not. Just like Mordecai was. They had spent so many years fighting against God and rebelling against God and everything had been so successful in Israel that they're not doing with the land and giving it the Sabbath rest that they were told to give the land. And so since God said, all right, you're not listening to me, I'll pull you out of that land and I'll give the land the rest I told you to give it and you'll stay in captivity that whole time. So they wind up getting carried away to Babylon. And then as you fast forward in time, you come down here and the media Persia empire has taken over and here's Mordecai in the circumstances of life. He's caught up in a situation through the politics of Israel that has also affected him. Look at the book of Jeremiah, if you would, please. Jeremiah chapter number nine. Well, I got 927, but that ain't the right one. <laughs> there ain't no 927. Maybe I meant, let me check 19. If not, we'll go to 1 Timothy and I'll show you my second point. Let me check 19. There ain't no 1927. All right, go to 1 Timothy then. 1 Timothy chapter 2, please. Sorry about that. I want to show you how when God judges the nation, every individual in that nation falls under that judgment. Just because you're doing right in a wicked day doesn't mean if the nation around you is doing right that you're going to be okay. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to see what we've been instructed to do. You know what? I know what that passage was, that that verse. He said that to, to pray for the peace of them when you're in captivity, for in their peace you'll have peace. In other words, when they were carried away into captivity, pray for them. 
praying for your enemies. Why? That God will bless them while they're running your show because if they're getting blessed, you're getting blessed. The point of that passage that I wanted to show you, and I'm sorry for the bum reference, but the point of that passage was this. You fall under circumstances of life. You fall under circumstances of the environment you're in. That's not God doing it. You understand what I'm saying? That isn't necessarily even the devil doing it. Either way, just because the economy is going bad doesn't mean you're going to get rich. If the economy is going bad, that's going to affect you too. That ain't God. That's the fact that sin around you is impacting you in the world you live in. That's why in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 2, we have some specific instructions to the church. He says that we're to pray for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Why? Because the people that are in authority impact you with the decisions that they make. So God's instructions to us is pray for them. Well, I don't like Biden. I don't care if you like him. I don't care if they vote Hillary in next. You know what you're supposed to do? Pray for her. Well, I don't like Governor Whitmer. doesn't matter if you like her. You're not told in the Bible to criticize Governor Whitmer. You're told to pray for her. Pray for kings and for all that are authority. I don't like the policies there. Why don't you pray for them? We ought to be praying for this nation. We ought to be praying for our leaders. We ought to be praying that God will do something special. And even if that means God has to bring war or judgment or pestilence or famine or recession on our nation, then so be it. And if that affects me, then so be it. God knows and God will be watching me staying faithful in the depressing times. God won't forget when I stick with him and do right, even when circumstances around me affect me. I want to be praying for him. I ought to be praying for him. We talk a lot about politics and we watch a lot of news about politics and all the rest of that stuff, but I don't think we pray too much, do we? I think we're a pretty prayerless generation. Not beating on you, I'm just saying, I think we're a pretty prayerless generation. We ought to be praying. God convicted my heart on the way here because I drove by a guy on a, on a, on a lawnmower and he's Mowing his grass, mowing the grass, he's a landscaper. Just before that, I drew by a bunch of people bringing all their cars out there in Hamburg and, you know, parking their fancy cars out there on a Sunday, and all these cool cars are going by me as I'm leaving, and I thought, I'm thinking like, are you kidding me? It's a Sunday morning, and, and people don't have time to get to church. You ask them, oh, I'd love to come, but I just don't have time. But they're all going to go out there, and they're going to park their dumb car, Look, look, I'm happy for you. I hope you all have cars like that if you're into it. Good for you. Can I, let me say something like, and then I'm going to explain what I say, but just let me make the statement first. What stinking difference does that make to me? Right. Why do I care if you got a super cool, old-fashioned, fancy car? Right. One, one way or the other, why do I care? How does that impact my life? Oh, you're being so selfish. No, here's what I'm saying. Here's what I want to explain. You take this car and you park it there. So you can stand outside of it. It's my car. So everybody can come and go, ooh, look at your car. Like, I mean, that just to me is like really retarded. I mean, excuse me for the phrase. That's really like ridiculous. Like that, that's more important than going to church. That's more important than getting some help this morning from God. I mean, to me, that just aggravated me to drive by it and to look at where our country is. And the fact, the thing that really bothered me is not lost people doing what lost people do. You know, if that makes you feel happy, you got one life to live. Without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell forever. Enjoy it, man. I mean, if that, it's a, there's worse ways you could be living, right? 
but save people? You don't know how many times I've heard, hey, preacher, I'd love to be in church this Sunday, but the car show. Okay, go. No problem. Well, what do you want me to say to that? <laughs> Brother, something wrong with you. You're putting cars ahead of Jesus, you know? Like, what am I supposed to, how can I win in that one? Go to the car show. Have fun. I'll be in church. Aggravated me, right? Then I come a little farther up the road and I pass the landscaper. And the guy's like 60 years old with orange strike of hair down his head. And I'm like, are you kidding me, man? Like, it's the kind that obviously washes out and you put a new color in every day, you know? And the Lord said, really, Mike? You're pretty petty. It's just paint. He's out trying to make a buck while he can. Probably on his way to hell. Do you understand what I'm saying about our perspective? We just get the wrong perspective sometimes. Like, where, where are you praying for these people? Why aren't you seeking God for them? This nation's been blessed for so long that we start putting the blessing ahead of the blesser, and then you got so busy just like Israel did and so caught up in life and making money and doing what you got to do and, you know, your 401K and all the rest of buying and selling and all the rest that you've got going on that now it's like, well, I just don't have time to go to church. And you're living in sealed houses and the house of God lies waste. And God remembers. God sits there every time you put a check in the box you can't afford. And God remembers. But it don't always feel like it. And as the judgment of God comes on a nation that rejects God, it affects even the people in that nation that are trying to be faithful. Talking about the circumstances of life, Mordecai had been carried away by him. Back in Esther chapter 2, please. Not only do you see it in the politics of Israel and all that's going on here with this guy as he's been carried away, but you also see it in his personal life. It's crazy to look and see that this man winds up having a, some family members that are dead and then he takes their daughter in and he's raising them. His life got changed by flat circumstances. Just life under the sun, the book of Ecclesiastes. His life got completely turned up on its head. He takes this, his niece in and he raises her as his own because her mom and dad probably got killed somewhere along the line, and here she is, an orphan without parents. Talking about the circumstances of life. Like, wow, how horrible is all this? Think about it from Esther's standpoint. Not only has she lost her mom and dad, she's being raised by her uncle, and he's, you know, Mordecai, he's great and everything, but she doesn't have parents. Her mom and dad are dead. And now she's being raised in his house, and on top of all that, circumstances, just talking about life, Right? Vashti goes and rebels against the king. <laughs> and now the king's on a rampage and all of his guys come around him and they say, we know what to do. Let's find all the pretty girls in the kingdom. Now listen, you just pretty much ticked off everybody. You understand that? Because the girls that didn't get picked, you know what you said to them? You ain't got it, honey. You ugly. You ain't pretty enough for the king. So you know what you just did to mama bear and papa bear? Oh, yeah, my daughter ain't good enough, huh? And then all the ones that are pretty enough, you kind of tick them off too. Because not every girl wants to be married to the king. That, that wouldn't necessarily be a very good position to be in. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me explain to you what I mean by this very delicately. What the king would do is he would bring all these women in, and they had a house that was for the women. He didn't, they didn't live in the palace with the king. They had a house for the women. 
And, and so they bring these girls in and they go through a purification process, which was a very long process. I believe it was 12 months. They go through this long purification process. In other words, he's just like, you stink. You, you have to go through this long process. And I got Hege, he's, he's the keeper of the women. He's going to kind of run the show and make sure everything's done the way the king wants it done. And then when the time is right, when she's been through that purification process, every, every young girl, every woman, they have, to, they have to spend a night with the king. Then what? Go back to the women's house. Literally treating them like garbage. Like... Okay, I'm done with you. Next. Now, the sad thing is, you got to sit and wait a long time to see where you rank with the king if maybe you get to be somebody in the kingdom. Maybe you get to be the queen. If you happen to be the king's favorite, then you get the position. So let's say you're one of the ones that wasn't the favorite. Guess what? You do not get to go back to your life. Your life literally just ended. You now live in this women's house under the authority of the king. You are literally literally like a slave. You're like a concubine. And the day may come where he never calls you back in. Do you understand that? If you want children, you hope you got pregnant the first time. Are, are you getting the picture? I'm trying to be real sensitive here. But you get the picture. He might never call you back. But you don't get to just leave there and go get married and move on with your life and say, I got scarred by our filthy, rotten king, this godless, depraved pile of garbage who's all about himself. You don't get that privilege. You stay there under the authority of the king as ownership. He owns you, but he didn't marry you. And he feeds you and takes care of you the rest of your life. And if he wants you back, when he calls, you go. That's the situation Esther winds up getting thrown in. Her life is gone, as far as she knows. And what are the chances, really, of being the one with all those other people? There's a lot of fish in the sea, right? You live in this day and age where it's like everybody does this weird stuff with their phones where they can make themselves look younger and older and all the rest of that stuff, not look real. Let's talk about reality you and I ain't, you know, the Hollywood stars, the celebrities that afford all the surgeries to take away reality to make themselves look like something super special. You've been looking at so many images, you know what, it's warped our minds to reality. Right. What are the chances, really, of you being the number one? Real slim. Talking about the circumstances of life, you know what you've got to remember during this time? You've got to remember that God remembers. What else would Esther have at this moment other than to know there's a God in heaven and I just happen to be real pretty. Now I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in this mess and I'm stuck in the king's palace. She had to remember that God remembers and God knows who she is and God knows the circumstances she's in and God will take care of her even when evil men or wicked men want to make a mess of her. God will see it and God will write it down and God will take care of her. God will remember. She has to remember that God will remember. How else is she going to make it? How else are you going to make it when the reality of life hits your house, if you don't remember, God will remember. Esther's life and Mordecai's life, they both got carried away in the circumstances. 
Notice something else. This is a tough one. You've got to remember this when this happens to you. They're under the custody of somebody else. Not just carried away by circumstances, but literally locked in under the custody of somebody else's care. Look at verse 19. When the virgins were gathered together the second time, then Mordecai sat in the king's gate. Esther had not showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her, for Esther did the commandment of Mordecai like as when she was brought up with him. So here she is. Esther actually happens to get picked. A a, a miracle of God, a, a, a good thing because God remembers who she is. God's remembering Israel. God remembers Mordecai. God's looking at all this situation. And while it looks like the circumstances of life are just overwhelming me and just flooding me, the enemy comes in like a flood. David and all his desperation throughout the Psalms and Joseph in the jail, the circumstances of life just spiraling out of control. The brothers, for no good reason, ripping off that coat, planning to kill him, deciding to sell him. All looks like circumstances that are just out of my control. This is lunatic. This is nuts. How can this be? You know what happened with Joseph? Nothing. <laughs> why he, why he, did, he did nothing. My preacher told me years ago, and I never forgot this. He said, listen to me. God puts the coat on who he wants because he's the father. The coat of many colors. Be careful if God puts the coat on you. Because when that happens, all the brethren are going to want to come after you. Excuse me? (laughs) If God calls you, and if God's using you, he put the coat on you. The father puts the coat on who he wants. But when he puts the coat on you, watch out. The brethren are going to come after you. So two things the brethren are never going to forgive you for. Success. And failure. Circumstances. Talking about being put into the custody of somebody else. You know you can't control what other people around you do? You can't control what wicked men do. You can't control your brothers and sisters in Christ do. You can't control your spouse. You can't. There comes a time when you can't control your children anymore. And you need to understand that and stop trying. That's one of the biggest problems I see with adult kids and adult par- and older parents. I'm not talking about when they're under your roof. There's still some level of control there. But there comes a point when, man, look, you know, a kid's 40 years old. They're doing what they're doing, man. Leave them alone. Doesn't mean you've got to approve it. Doesn't mean you've got to let them bring their beer over to your house or go to theirs when they're drinking it. I'm just saying there's nothing you can do. When, you, when you're under the custody of somebody else, you can't control everybody and everything around you, especially when they got authority over you like Esther. She's in a bad spot. Joseph winds up in prison. He's in a bad spot. David winds up hiding in the caves, running from Saul. Why? Because of the custody of people that are over him, and they're sinful people in a sinful world, and their impact on your life can be devastating and disappointing and heartbreaking and can send things going the wrong direction. Listen, if you don't need this message now, you're going to need it sooner or later in your life. Other people's sins will affect your life, and you've got to know that God Almighty is marking it all down, and He will remember in his time and in spite of the fact that it looks impossible God can do amazing things through messy situations the worst thing you can do at a time like this is rebel against God worst thing you can do at a time like this is run away from God 
Worst thing Esther could have done is start trying to take matters into her own hands and fight back. All she'd have done is cause complete devastation to herself, to Mordecai, and to the Jews. And God would have done something totally different. The name of the book wouldn't be Esther. It would be something else because God will get done what God wants done because God is God. I can't explain it all to you. I don't totally get it all, but I know that God will do it one way or the other. If God wants it done, he doesn't need me. I need him. And i got to remember that when I'm in the custody of others and their decisions are impacting me and it's hurting. Look at verse 21. Mordecai is in the same boat. He sits in the king's gate. There's two of the chamberlains there. So that shows you Mordecai's job. Esther's job. She becomes the king, the queen. So they both have a job and in the custody of that job and under the authority of that job, what are they doing? They're doing the best they can in the moment to do their job the right way and they're being loyal in a job. Don't you think Esther might have had some reason to be bitter? Don't you think Esther could have said, you pig, I'm the queen, but how many of those girls from your house over there have you been calling in? Do you know what her responsibility was not? Her responsibility was not him. Her responsibility was her. She's under his leadership. I know that. She's in his custody. But if she does wrong in his custody, that's on her. If he does wrong in a leadership role over her, God will deal with him. You got to remember that. Can can I just tell you something? I want to say this. It's going out on a limb. God's going to have to catch it, okay? When you look at somebody doing wrong and you feel like they always get away with it, you are wrong. You might not know what they're going through, but I will guarantee you Almighty God in heaven does not allow people to get away with it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You have to remember God remembers and trust God's judgment. Trust his justice. Trust his heart. Trust his mind and don't go by what you think you see or don't see because you're wrong. So many times I've had people, listen, they're, they're doing this, that, and they're getting away with it and other people doing, trying to do right and they're not. And I want to say, I, I actually know more about that situation. I, I can't say, but I know more about that situation. Don't you think that people live like hell and walk away from it with no impacts on their life? God is just God remembers, and if God's waiting to bring that judgment, you trust him that he knows more than you know, and just do right under the custody of others, whether they're doing right or not. If your boss is a cheater, that's not your problem. Don't you cheat. If your husband's a spiritual sloth, that ain't your problem. Don't you be one. Your mom and dad are, are two-time and behind God's back. They're one thing in church and there's something else in their life. That's not your problem. You do right. Even though you're under the custody of others, God's watching what you do and God will remember and it will come out in the end. I promise you that. He's writing it down. You ain't forgetting. They got all kinds of problems these people do. They got family issues. Can I say when it comes to family, Mordecai did his part. And Esther did hers. Do you know that's all you can do when it comes to family? Mom and dad, all you can do is try to raise them little brats right. Love them. Be balanced. Love them, but also know when to not allow your emotions to override 
clear judgment. You hear me? Daddies, you need to work more on loving. Mamas, you need to work more on having clear judgment. Because you're doing damage to your kids being overly pampering and overly motherly and holding daddy back when they need a little bit of daddy. God created the difference and the balance. The differences are what, what give you a good, well-rounded home. The differences are also what cause you to butt heads because you see things differently. Can't you do your part and trust God bring the balance in? Amen. Love them, but also know how to get in their face. You don't do them any favors pampering them all the time. Mordecai, I raised her right. He's telling her, go on in there and just do what you got to do. Do right. Who knows if thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? He just says, I know it's tough, honey. It's what he tells her later on in the book. We'll see it. I know it's tough, honey, but go on in there. Don't think that if you don't, that you're going to get away with it. Don't you think God don't know? Don't you think God ain't seeing it? Now go on in there and do what you... I wish I could do it. I can't do it for you. I would love to do it for you. I can't. You're going to have to do it. Now go on in there and do it. That's what she needed. That kind of strength, that kind of encouragement, that kind of it's tough, but I guess I got to step up, is what made her a queen. When you're in the custody of others or you got those in your custody, you got to trust God. you got to remember He remembers. Look at the last thing. you got to remember that God remembers when you're in the circumstances of life in the custody of others and you got to be content with what God has given you. Now that's a huge, important thing. I'm going to show you in the passage here in just a minute. But it's hugely important for you to grab a hold of the fact that you've got to be content with where you're at and what God has given you. Because if you aren't, you are going to mess up what God is trying to do. Now let's look at it in the passage. Look at verse 15. Now when the turn of Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her for his daughter, was come in unto the king, she required nothing but what Haggai, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the woman, appointed. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all them that looked upon her. You know what happens with Esther when she comes in? She had zero requirements. See, they, they pick all the prettiest girls, and they bring all the prettiest girls in there to present all the prettiest girls in the kingdom to the, to the king. I mean, come on now. Let's just be honest about it, ladies. If you were like... Number one, a 10 out of 10, right? That's the best. A 10, she's a 10, she's a, and it goes down from there, right? So let's say a 10 is like really good. Am I right? Yes. I haven't been in the market for 20 years, so I don't even care. I got my 10, amen? amen. But listen, she's a 10 out of 10. Just wanna, oh, man, you get all those girls in the same room. Come on, doesn't that sound miserable, ladies? Ain't you, ever, ain't you ever had a kid in school or in the youth group? I hope not in youth group. Ain't you ever had a kid in school who just, she's just prettier than you? And so what she does is she just tortures you and tries to make you feel stupid and makes fun of you. And you guys are doing the strut thing back. Because you know you do it back. Don't, don't look at me like that. Do not look at me. You do it in your own way. You got ways of trying to get her back. And, you know, can you imagine putting all them in one spot? And they're all competing for who's going to be the queen. So they're all sizing each other up. Guys do it totally different. You go to a competition and it's just like the, the spirit in the whole place, it's just, it's, if you're an adrenaline junkie, it's a rush. But 
it's just everybody's looking at everybody and it's like you kind of being nice but you're only fake being nice because you're trying to see who's in your bracket and who's close to your age and who's probably you're trying to guess their belt or see if you can spot what belt they got and it's like who do I kill who's the man you know and you get that environment going it's all flesh yeah. it's 100% flesh and boy when you get the flesh going that's a dangerous place to be and you got all these girls in here and you got one, and they're all saying, I need this kind of makeup, and I need my hair done this way. And when I, well, I want, well, what do you need? And they're asking what they require. What do you require? We want you to give your best to the king. It's your prom night. It's all about you. We want to make sure that you present yourself well. And when you walk out there on stage, we want to make sure that the oohs and ahs and all the pictures are perfect. So what do you want? And Esther comes in there and she says, what do you think I need? She was content just like she was. She was like, listen, I'm not preaching you can't wear makeup, okay? Please, I can't stand that kind of stuff. It's so weird. The old-time preacher saying, you know, if the bar needs paint and paint it, you know, I don't think you should, and I don't think you shouldn't. I don't care. It's not right or wrong. But Esther's attitude was like, God put me here. God will get me through it. If I wind up living over there in the house with them girls forever, God will get me through it. What does she require? Nothing. She looks at Haggai and she says, what do you think I need? Interesting how she got favor, huh? See, she had a content spirit. There was obviously something about this young lady's spirit. Can I just say something to you, young ladies? Listen to me clearly. There is something about your spirit that literally makes your face more attractive. Absolutely. There's no question about it. When you're a snot, and you're, I'm a 10, but you're a snot, you make me want to puke. Really. Do you know most normal men, not men that just want to use you for their own good and then throw you away, most normal men that are looking for somebody to spend their life with, to be faithful to, to take care of, to grow old together, to go through good times and bad times together, most normal men, honestly, care a lot more about whether or not you're got a sweet spirit about you, than whether or not you're a 10 out of 10. In other words, what I'm trying to get across to you is you have a lot more value than your features. A lot more value. So she's prettier. So she's whatever. We got this feature, that feature. So what? She's a snot. I, I don't care. And you guys, when you fall for them, you're stupid. You're an idiot. You're a moron. You're a lunatic. You've lost it. You hear what I'm saying? She winks with her eyes. She's, she hunts the precious soul. Maybe you ain't that good looking. Maybe she's demon possessed and the devil wants to wreck your marriage and your home and your testimony. Do you ever stop and think about that, genius? Right. Oh, I still got it. No, you don't, stupid. She's got a devil in her that's coming after you and trying to wreck everything you've been spending your life to build. Don't, get, don't flatter yourself, moron. She tells the, I'm, I'm using these words on purpose. Ladies, I'm talking to the men, so don't get upset, okay? Is it all right if I talk to the men that way? Are you okay with that? I should at least get a, amen, out of you, you know? You're, you're being stupid, man. You throw away everything for a few minutes of pleasure because you're stupid. Right. And she's going to move on and use somebody else because she lied to the last few guys the same way she's lying to you. 
There's more to it than all that outside stuff. You better be content with where God's got you, with who you married, with who, what kids you got, with the job you got, with the church you got, with the God you serve, with the Bible you read. Get content in your life or the devil will get in there and mess you up. Amen. Be thankful you got a roof over your head and quit looking at somebody else's roof. Be thankful you got wheels that got you here and quit looking at the car show on your way to church. Amen. Contentment. This woman was content. Notice something else about Mordecai in verse 22. The thing is known to Mordecai. He told it to Esther. She certified it in the king's name. You know what I find interesting about that? There was no negotiation with Mordecai. He didn't say, hey, I got some news for you, but I, I, need, to, I need to, let's sit down at the table and see if we can re-talk about our union contract before I tell you. He was content. He got the information. He gave him what was supposed to be given. He did his job. He asked for nothing in return. Where are the Christians like that? They'll just do what's right looking for nothing in return. Just do it because it was right to do. I don't need a pat on the back. I don't need to always be complimented. I don't need to always be told, oh, good job, honey. Your wife has to tell you every week when you get the paycheck, oh, good job, honey. You brought... Every time dinner's made, every time, it's got to be, oh, good job, good job. I mean, isn't it sometimes like, okay, we just, we're just living here. And we did the right thing because it's right. There's no negotiations with God. Every time you drop a check in the box, you're saying, God, please give me back tenfold. Or you just put it in the box. Why? Because you're content. Because you're thankful. Because you got the right spirit about what you're doing. Contentment. Mordecai was content. And Esther was content. They let it go. They did what was right and they let it go. And you know what they found out? That when they did what was right, God Almighty saw it. And God Almighty wrote it down. And even though he doesn't pay on Friday, he had something better set up. Because down the road, God was going to do something amazing with the decisions that Esther and Mordecai had made. See, some people see it a little sooner on. Esther is seeing the result pretty quick. She was content. The keeper of the chamberlain, he favored her. Everybody else favored her because the hand of God was on her. There was a spirit of God in her. There was something about her spirit that was special that drew attention and the right kind of attention. It wasn't turning the heads of the guys. Ladies, when you dress in such a way as to see how many people looked at you, you got sin in your heart. When you're walking through the store wondering, well, why didn't he look? You're wicked. You better, you better work on that. That's going to get you in trouble sooner or later. She didn't have that desire. She wasn't worried about the, any of that stuff. She just said, what do I need? And he said, here you go. I'll give you what you need. And something about her, people were noticing, but they weren't noticing that way. They were just like, man, there's something about her. She was content. She was content with what God had given her, where God had put her, and what God was doing. And in the middle of all these weird circumstances and the custody of other men, she's content. So God's writing it down. Mordecai does his job and does it the right way, and he's content. And God's writing it down. Look at verse 16. So Esther was taken unto King Ahasuerus in his house royal in the tenth month, which is the month to Beth, in the seventh year of his reign. Look at verse 18. The king made a great feast and all his princes and servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. Look at verse 23. And when inquisition was made of the matter, it was found out. Therefore, they were both hanged on a tree, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles before the king. You know what I'm showing you? When they were just content in the flood of the circumstances, under the custody of others which is out of their control, and they stayed content and just did right 
and followed God. God's putting all the pieces in place that they could never have imagined God was going to do later. Did you hear me? In their wildest dreams, they couldn't have imagined what God was going to do. Brother Lentz told me this, because you've heard me say this, and I've been thinking about this lately, because I have reiterated the point over and over and over again. It ain't what you think it is, right? You heard me say that recently? I want God to use me. It ain't what you think it is. I want to be a preacher. It ain't what you think it is. I want to be a sold-out Christian. It ain't what you think it is. I want to know my Bible. It ain't what you think it is. I want to have a godly home. It ain't what you think it is. See, people say all that stuff because they look at what they perceive it to be, and it's like, there's the paradise. There's the perfect life. Oh, man, if we were just like them, if we just had their marriage, if we just had their kids, if I just had God on me like that, if I was just that kind of a, whatever it is. It ain't what you think it is, right? There's some pressure associated with doing right. There's some pain associated with getting somewhere in life. There's, some, there's a negative side to trying to serve God. And I've said that a lot lately, and I wanted you to know that. You know, some of you are getting a lot of kickback from the devil recently. And what you're dealing with, I just said everything's not super spiritual, right? I just said that earlier in the message. Okay, what some of you are dealing with is very spiritual. It is a demonic attack. It's a wrestling match. And you know I'm talking to you because you've been wrestling. You wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power. The devil's putting pressure on you. You know why? Because you're going the right direction. That's why. It's spiritual. Well, I want to find the truth. Ain't what you think it is. (laughs) You still want it? You're in the middle of it now. You got the pressure on you now. You still want it? Because I I do. I want the truth. I want God to use me. I want God to keep me at it. Even though there's a price to be paid for doing right. The devil ain't going to be happy with it. The circumstances in life aren't going to go your way. You're living in enemy territory. And then decisions are going to be made by people around you that kick everything off track. But you got to be content knowing that there's a God who can work in spite of everything and is doing some things you can't ever imagine. Now, here's my statement. I've been saying it ain't what you think it is, right? Let me tell you something else. Brother Lintz said this to me years ago. I never forgot it. He said, Mike, the dream realized is greater than the dream imagined. And can I tell you, the dream realized is so much better than what you thought it was. That's what I want. I know you thought one thing about it, and it ain't that. Once you get over your disappointment and decide you're going to do right anyways, be not weary and well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. When you start reaping, you say, man, God, this is so much. Your plans for me and what you are going to do is so much better than what I thought it was going to be. I'm glad I didn't quit. Because God's writing it all down. He's watching it, and he will take care of you. Stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes.